if there's one piece of solid advice you're going to give people about car maintenance, it's that one, get, find yourself a mechanic who is reliable, who you trust. Everything else takes care of itself a lot easier if you do that. And then sort of that second piece of advice is, yeah, never go back to the dealer. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for another episode of Medical Dads. How are you doing over there? I'm doing great. I've got a ton of car puns ready for this episode. <laughs> this episode is going to drive me crazy. I'm all revved up. <laughs> Actually, I only had two car puns. That's probably more than enough. <laughs> more than enough. More than enough. So in case you have not figured it out, today the Medical Dads are going to give you the Medical Dads car and automobile breakdown, right? I know people have been waiting for this episode for a long time because... They're tired of hearing about actual healthcare issues and they want our take on vehicles. And when we talk about cars, breakdown is probably the right word for what we're going to be able to tell you. <laughs> now, now, now. I mean, the thing about cars is it's a tricky topic because men and dads are expected to be the car guys in their family. You know, like yeah. it or not, we're expected to handle the car stuff, right? It goes along with all the other jobs that are sort of characteristically dad jobs is all the things right. that involve getting dirty. <laughs> yeah. The kind of grease that you can't wipe off your hands, no matter how long you wash it for. That's what cars are about for guys. That's right. For working on the car, mowing the lawn, taking out the garbage. These are all things that sort of sing out dad. <laughs> the sad thing about cars. And I know you and I have talked, talked about this before is that, a lot of us as guys grow up interested in cars. Like cars right. when you're a kid are a great thing. Like they seem so fun. Like you sit at the steering wheel, you watch your parents drive around and take you places and you, you see all these cool cars out there. You got your hot wheels. So you think that at some day you're going to have a nice car to drive. And then you arrive as an adult and you're lugging your kids around in a minivan and worrying about car seats. <laughs> you know, that's the reality of life as an adult. Well, you know, when you're seven, or at least when we were seven, Cars meant the Dukes of Hazard. It meant finding some old junk car, getting some super engine, uh, refurbishing the whole thing, having this awesome car that can do jumps, and that everywhere right. you drive, there's going to be a convenient ramp for your car to do a right. jump over. <laughs> and then, then you take your first driving lesson, and the first thing they're telling you is like, oh, well, there's a speed limit here. You, you can't actually go that fast. Well, it's sad. I mean, you look at your children, they're, and our children, they're growing up in this day and age where cars are basically considered like kind of like something that's off limits in a way, you know, that they're not good for the environment. They're destructive. They're yeah. evil appliances. You know, the speed limit has been reduced to 50 kilometers an hour. There's no place for the car fun car loving dude to be socially responsible, you know, in 2040 or 2035. Yeah, this is true, and especially here in Canada, because I think Americans historically have a real national uh, like identity centered around cars. Right. Because I guess the first real mass-produced cars were invented in the U.S., right? Like the, mm -hmm. the Model T Ford or whatever. Um, 
uh, so even things like the movie Cars, that Disney movie about talking cars, that movie mm-hmm. resonated in the United States way more than it uh, than it did in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, when you start talking about social responsibility and you know having an electric car as opposed to a loud, powerful car, uh, it's very <laughs> much the the Canadian thing. Like yeah, that's what we need here in Canada: a nice, polite car that you don't use too much. That's quiet. <laughs> so let's let's talk about cars then. So. For most of us, cars starts with the whole process of buying a car, right? right? And this is for a lot of people. It's the second most expensive purchase they make in their lifetime. Like after their house, the next thing that they buy is the car, right? That's Anything true. else that's more expensive than this is entirely frivolous and not worthy of our discussion here. But cars is something that everyone has to go through, and a lot of times you're buying it before you've bought your house, so yeah. you're looking at like ten to twenty to thirty thousand dollars on the line when you've yeah. never really made much money before, yeah. and. You, you've heard all the stories about, you know, going to a car dealer and getting destroyed, right? Yeah. So you're ready to go, but you're nervous. Like what, what, what tips can we share about car purchasing for new dads or even dads yeah. that are thinking about buying another car? Okay. Yeah. That's a good place to start. Uh, do you remember when you got your first car? I think I remember we, you and I got our first cars probably around the same time. I got my first car when I finished my residency. So I was just starting out as a doctor. I'm like, okay, I'm going to need a car to drive to work. Right. <laughs> and at that time I was not married yet. So yeah. I decided I take my girlfriend, I take my girlfriend. I don't think she was my fiance. We just went to buy the car together. Right. First major pr- purchase as a, as a couple, which probably in all retrospect, <laughs> is not the smartest thing to do. <laughs> Man, it sounds like, sounds like she knew what she was doing. <laughs> All I remember about that purchase, so the first car I bought was a 2007 Honda Accord, right? Yes. Not that exciting of a car. Although yeah. compared to starter cars, you know, not a bad starter car for many people. Like it's known to be pretty reliable, that that make. Yeah. And first experience at the at the car dealership, which was kind of kind of scary actually. So yes. my long-term take-home message was I hate car dealerships. You know, yes. like you go in, you've never bought anything. And then you saw you, you buy the car. And I thought I had done my research. Like one of my buddies is a car guy. He was like, you got to get on this website called Car Cost Canada okay. and you pay $50. They'll give you the prices of three cars, right? Okay. You can ask, you can request for three quotes. And once they give you that quote, it will beat the manufacturer's suggested retail price. And the, the price they give you, a dealer will guarantee that they'll sell you the car at that price. Right. So it takes all the haggling out of it, which for me, you know, growing up, you know, medical student, resident, I hated the idea of haggling. I didn't know anything about business or negotiating. Right. So if I could short circuit that process and just walk in the store and have a set price and walk out with the car, that's great. Right. Except Honda saw my game plan. Right. (laughs) And when I entered into the website that I wanted a Honda Accord, they said, there is no specific price for this car. There's no guaranteed price for this one. (laughs) No one knows how much it really costs. (laughs) But, you know, we think that the price will be around, uh, whatever it came out to was like 28,000 or something. So then I I priced it out in my head. I was like, okay, with tax, it'll be about 30. So I was like, I'm gonna go in the store. I'm just gonna ask for 30. So my, my girlfriend and I, or my now wife and I are sitting in the dealership, right? Looking intimidated. Yeah. And the guy, you know, goes through his whole rigmarole, right? Where he's like, writes down the number on a piece of paper and then slides it across the table. And you look at the number and it was like 36,000, 
right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, I know what at 36, I got to put something to try to get the number closer to 30. So I, I, I remember writing like 28, right? <laughs> he looks at it with disgust. He's like, okay, we both know the price of the car, right? So, <laughs> and then we settled on a number. It wasn't too painful, that part. But what yeah. happened after that is the part that annoyed me was that he then proceeded to try to sell me all these add-on things, right? Yeah. And you can't tell because they're coming at you so fast with these add-on things that you can't tell what's what. And right. I ended up purchasing like a couple dumb things that I should not have, right? <laughs> so I'm going to tell the audience, <laughs> I'm going to tell the audience what not to do at a dealership. Do not buy the wheel nuts, okay? <laughs> you know the the wheel. They're called wheel locks, right? Yeah. Like if you're worried that someone's going to steal the rims off your car, they <laughs> they give you these special wheel locks with like this fancy zigzag pattern, so you can't just unlock the wheel with a regular wrench you need a like a special lock one right, right. hundred dollars for the wheel locks right <laughs> four of these locks one for each tire right you could obtain the same thing at canadian tire for like 15 dollars, i think right ridiculous and furthermore no one's stealing the the rims off a 2007 Honda Accord anyway okay if you're driving like fancy German car or Porsche with really nice rims yeah maybe someone's gonna want that you know yeah. what the Honda Accord rims they're everywhere no one wants it right so rule number one rule number two he sold me something called auto tire insurance like do you have any idea what that's for it's for them to steal money from your pockets <laughs> on, on the moment he's he's like anytime you get a flat tire you know. You, you damage your wheel we'll replace it for you free of charge and I, and i'm like i'm like in, i'm swimming uphill like i just spent thirty thousand dollars that i don't even know that i don't even have right i'm like yeah what do i do next he i'm thinking in my head like okay i got four wheels i mean quick calculation each wheel is two hundred dollars right eight hundred dollars you know all i have to do is you know change the, all the wheels once it's totally worth it right yeah. i have four-year insurance on my wheels right i forgot that when you bust a wheel that you don't fix all four wheels. You only fix the one that's broken, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I don't know what I was thinking. It was terrible, right? Like, like my ancestors probably rolled over in their graves at how their, how their Canadian descendant couldn't do any basic mathematics, <laughs> right? your first car. You were probably imagining driving it the same way the Dukes of Hazzard drove their car. You probably yeah, pop all four wheels when you land, right? <laughs> right. So I'm going to be going through wheels left, right, and center with all the stunts I'm doing. A few months later, you know, you know I'm driving to work, going making a right turn into the parking lot into the underground lot of my office then yeah and that office had this really annoying curb that just kind of jutted out a little bit further than it should right so i'm doing a right turn and then i hear bang i'm like oh man what is that i drove into the lot parked my car and i look my wheel has popped right oh wow wheel has popped because the sidewall of the tire rubbed so hard against the curb that was jutting out too far right <laughs> curb came out of nowhere officer <laughs> curb came out of nowhere right i was going in a straight line <laughs> coast was clear and that curb just blindsided me and the tire popped and ripped the wall off so so i learned on the spot how to change a tire like yeah. i had to take out that manual after work that night lie under the car in the basement of the underground garage and change that sucker which wasn't too bad i actually learned something right yeah. then i take the car back to the dealer and i'm like well i don't i'm not worried i'm like I got the car and ins- tire insurance, yeah. right? That's what this is for. They make you fill out a form, you know, you're going to get the tire changed. And I wrote, yeah. you know, car bumped car bumped curb that was jutting out too far, right? Yeah. Well, lo and behold, don't ever write that, okay? Write that right. you write that you drove into like a hole in the ground, right? Yeah. Like what what are those holes in the middle? Pot of, holes. A pothole, right? Yeah. You drove into a pothole. 
they can't get you for a pothole. They yeah. apparently said that the curb was my fault, right? I, I was like, there's fault associated with car tire insurance? I thought yeah. the, the tire breaks. I get a new tire. I actually want four new tires, right? They yeah. gave me zero. Right? Oh, <laughs> zero. I mean, I mean, what scenario is the tire going to pop where they can't construe that it is your fault? Because even if it's a pothole and you said drove into a pothole, they're going to say, well, you should have avoided the pothole. It, it, was, right? pretty biz- it was pretty pathetic. And at the end, I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm never coming back to this dealership again. That, I was so mad, but I had no other way to take out my rage except yeah. to say, I'm not coming to your Honda dealership. I'm going to the other one, right? In Midtown, right? That was, that's what ended up happening. I ended up going to that dealership for maintenance for a while yeah. until I saw on CBC Marketplace that the Midtown dealership was actually the one that they snuck in people with hidden cameras to Ooh. see how much they were ripping off their, <laughs> their, the public for. So at the end of the day, the take-home lesson of all of this you know, if anyone can learn anything from this is that be very weary of whatever they're trying to sell you at a car dealership. A hundred percent. I mean, it's always that you go in and you negotiate a price for the car and you think you're getting somewhere because the guy is like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, because I like you or whatever, you get this number. So you agree on this number and then you sign the papers, all that kind of stuff is done. And then after you've done that, then the guy tells you, all right, well now just before we can give you the keys, you just need to meet with my manager person. Then you go mm-hmm. and then that person comes and starts telling you about all these things you didn't know existed. Uh, yes. Whether it's like rust protection or some other kind of protection from bird poop on the car or <laughs> wheel nuts, you know, or, uh, or undercoating like on Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, talking to somebody who, is a, who worked at a dealership as a mechanic uh, when we got the Mazda 5, he helped us get a, a good deal on that vehicle. Uh, and he told us like, so yeah, but just when you go in, don't just say no to everything they offer you, no matter how right. fancy they make it. So just say no, you can, anything you need, you can sort it out afterwards, but on the spot, say no to all that stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So for, when they see you as a new car buyer, first timer, like 25 years old, 30 years old, they, they try to ding you with this. The second time I bought a car 10 years later, yeah. you know, I went in the store and everything they asked, I was just like, nope. Nope, nope. After a while, the guy's like, yeah, I just got to ask you, right? No, right? No for this one, no for that. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, we're good. We're good. (laughs) So that is the way the game is played, unfortunately. (laughs) It's not pleasant, but you got to go through it. Not long ago, my mother went and bought a uh, another Corolla, and I went Mm -hmm. with her to be her sort of wing person for the the (laughs) dealer. And it reminded me how when I actually got my first car, she had come with me to the dealership. Um, I'm a youngish guy in my twenties, uh, getting my 2005, uh, Mazda three, um, which was back in those days, everybody graduating medical school, every guy graduating medical school was looking at either your vehicle, the, the the Honda Accord or the Honda Civic. No, no. People were looking at Honda Civic, I think at that time. Okay. Yeah. What what did you get? The Accord. The Accord's a little bit bigger. Okay. Well, yeah, so it was like the Honda Civic, the Honda Accord, or it was the Mazda 3. Those were the sort of <laughs> two cars that a guy could get that's like, looks pretty cool, but still in your price range. <laughs> anyway, so I remember her and I went to the dealer, and uh, I went in, and the guy, I'm sitting talking to this guy, and he's wearing sunglasses indoors. Like, I'm looking <laughs> at him, it's like, you're wearing these dark glasses. And uh, I went in for this whole thing that this guy is going to try these tactics and all this kind of stuff on me. So I'm like, all right all right, you're going to wear your sunglasses? I wear my sunglasses. So I take my sunglasses out of my pocket, put these things on my face, and now I'm talking to him with sunglasses on. It isn't until we get up and go outside to like look at other cars that I realize he's just wearing those glasses that they used to have where it would change color, uh, like they would turn into sunglasses based on the lighting. So we go outside and his glasses get even darker. And I realize like, oh, 
You're just wearing these glasses. That's just... when you pull your second pair of sunglasses out and put <laughs> it on top in front of the first one. It's like, oh, I see your game. I see you. You're gonna your glass getting darker. Well, look, I'm putting on a blindfold. What do you think of that? Oh but, man. Uh, yeah, this guy that I was dealing with, he must have been kind of new on the job. Uh, he, he was doing all those other usual sales tactics that, that, you, that you would see at a car dealership. So mm. we finally agree on just on a price. And before we've added any undercoating or all that other stuff, we start saying like, okay, this is a good price. Okay, we agree on this price. And then he's saying like, okay, before I can finalize this price, I just have to go and talk to the, the, the boss. I have to go <laughs> talk to my boss. So then he goes and he comes back and he's saying, you know, like, yeah, you know, the boss... Like, I agree that this is a good price, but the boss says that we, you know, we have to charge you like this much more. Um, and I'm saying like, well, no, right? I'm not <laughs> happy with that. Uh, like you and I agreed on a price. Uh, and so then he's like, oh, I'll talk to the boss again. He comes back and he's saying like, okay, you know, the boss is willing to come down a bit on his thing. You know, it's the price we agreed on plus $500. And one of my other tips for when you go to buy a car or anything else that's a major purchase is always be prepared to walk away. Mm -hmm. uh, and truly mean it that you're willing to walk away if you have to. No, you can't be bluffing. You have to be willing to walk away. So anyway, uh, I'm saying like, well, no. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate the time that we've already spent. We've already spent like an hour with all whole rigmarole. Um, but you know, we agreed on this price. If you can't do it, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. So then, then the guy starts saying, you know, uh, you know, I can't believe that after all this, like you would just like walk away from this just for like an extra five hundred dollars. Uh, so then now I'm actually getting angry at this guy and I'm saying to him, I understand that none of this is, is your fault. Of course, um, like this is just the boss back there who's being unreasonable, but I find it offensive that the boss would tell me that I'm getting, being silly over $500 when the boss could come down on that $500 just as easily. <laughs> Uh, like it is actually upsetting to me that we agreed on this uh, and that this guy back there doesn't see reason, that, which is <laughs> this, not your fault. It's this guy in the back room. This so-called uh, boss of yours in the back. <laughs> that's right. So then, then the guy actually starts to look kind of panicked, like his, his eyes behind his now semi-dark indoor glasses are kind of bulging out. And he looks like he's got like a kind of a cold sweat going on. So he goes back out to this boss person, he comes back a few minutes later and he's like kind of shaking and he's like, uh, uh, it's okay. Uh, you know, uh, the, the boss sees your side and will sell you the car. I'm like, okay, great. Then I go to pick up the car because it's supposed to be ready in two days. So I go back with my mom. She drives me to go and get this car. I go and see the guy. I'm like, oh, yeah, so where's, I think the guy's name is Phil. I'm like, where's Phil? He's supposed to pick up the car. And the guy's like, oh, yes, you're coming to pick up this car. Yeah, Phil doesn't work here anymore. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> here, I you thought immediately I took done... $500 out of your pocket. You're like, here, here, bring Phil back. <laughs> I was like, I thought that this was just the usual level of back and forth for a negotiation for this type of purchase. I did not realize that this guy, he had probably offered me a price that he was not authorized to offer me. <laughs> and that's the story of how I got a 2005 Mazda 3 for $18,500. So two things about this. One is that when you go buy a car, right, it is a very time-consuming process. Like that That's yeah. the game that they're playing, right? They know yes. you've sat in the chair for a few hours. You're probably a busy guy. You're going to take another day off work and go to another dealer and like do this whole rigmarole again? Like yeah. That's my problem. Like Not so much necessarily when I was 27 years old, but now at this age, I don't have time for this. Like Every time yeah. people say, like, you know, I'm thinking of buying a new car, 
you know, you immediately think, oh, that's like, you know, you got to visit three different places at least. You test drive a bunch of cars. If you don't love cars and you're going to do all this stuff and then you're going to haggle, you're going to haggle repeatedly, try yes. to wiggle down a few thousand dollars. It's, it's such a burden, like thinking about that process. Right. And that's where they yeah. get you. Yeah, it's, it's completely part of their plan. And that that part at the end where you think you're done and then they're saying, OK, but now you just have to talk to one more person who then mm -hmm. is offering you more things. Mm -hmm. It's all part of the tactic because they do not tell you up front that. So here's how the process will work. We'll settle a price and then someone else will offer you more yeah. things. That always comes as a sort of surprise that they have waiting for you at the end. Now, I want to know. Yeah. When, when you needed to buy a car, your mom accompanied you. So I'm assuming, you know, she was like Jedi master, taught you some tricks so that you could kind of like figure your way through. But now she's older. She's buying a car. Why does she need you there? She's the master. Like, what, what, are, what is your purpose in, in that scene? I think it's actually more. My mom is sh quite shrewd. Uh, she has not lost any like uh, shine on mm. her brain when it comes to this type of thing. So mm. when she's bringing me, it's to play a role. Because <laughs> right? she's going to go in there and she's going to be the, uh, I'm just a doddering old lady. Uh, all these things are beyond me. That's why I need my son here uh, to help me process that. Uh, but then, Your like, son? These... You mean that dude with the two sunglasses on? That guy? <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> you know, maybe she's just sort of thinking, if they see I've got a special needs child uh, who, who I still look after, maybe they'll take pity on me. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's it's mostly part of her act, and so she can sort of ask these questions out loud to me, and so that uh, you know when she wants to look like she's deciding something, she can look to me to say, oh, you know, what, what do you think about that? But she already knows exactly how much she's willing to pay, stuff like that. Yeah. So, so, so there's some of our tidbits of car buying advice, right? Don't trust yeah. a dealer. Be prepared to settle in for a long haul, and the more time you can spend on it, the better of a deal you can probably get. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that that car, her car, the Corolla, when we got it, when we went in and we're doing all this final stuff, that guy is saying, okay, well, look, I can, I can put in the six, I don't know if it was tire insurance or whatever it was that he put in, that my mom was like, kind of like, yeah, actually, I can see myself using that, but not at the price that you're offering it for. Uh, mm -hmm. So he finally came down on this price and was saying, you know, I can give you this price, uh, but, you know, this is really below what I would normally like sell for. So in exchange, what I want you to do is write like a, a review on like a, give me a good positive <laughs> review on Yelp or something mm. like that. And then, and that's where it's like, ah, that's why I brought my son. I guess my mom doesn't use Yelp or that type of thing. <laughs> so it's, that's, where it's like, oh yeah, here's my role. So I write this review and I like, I felt pretty bad about that whole thing, right? The idea that I'm writing a review, that's not really an honest review because I'm not writing in the review. This place was great. They gave me a special deal because I wrote this review. Right? Mm. I'm writing that, you know, this dealer was, you know, like reasonable and seemed to understand us and et cetera. So I write that review and I'm showing him like, okay, here's your review. And he's like, okay, yeah, that looks good. Uh, only for the next day, I get this sort of message on my phone saying, oh, uh, thank you for that positive review you wrote. But I think you were thinking of the other Corolla dealership because uh, <laughs> this is not us. So I guess I wrote the review from the wrong place. <laughs> now, when, it sounded like when you were thinking about buying a car that the only cars that crossed your mind were these Japanese brands like Honda and Mazda, right? What about American cars? Like, I feel like there's this whole other world of cars out there that you're not giving any respect to. <laughs> well, I don't think it was a conscious decision that I thought, well, I won't buy an American car. Mm. Um, 
it was more just about what was in the price range that I could afford at the time that like had a sort of How about now? Like you guys are still driving a pair of like Japanese minivans. Well, what would be the uh, what would be the sort of American or Canadian made minivan? Well, <laughs> there is a <laughs> Chrysler has a minivan, the Pacifica. Right? Okay, yes. For I many think... years, the Dodge Caravan was the American minivan because most of the other GM products had stopped. Right? If you yeah. if you want to get a minivan or something that can seat that many children, yeah. you actually have to just get the Mammoth SUV. Right? The GMC. I, I can't remember the name of the model. Well, so uh, I do remember looking at the at that. I think the Chrysler when I was looking at the minivan. So I think there was three or four minivans uh, mm-hmm. that would sort of be appropriate when I was looking. And what caused the Honda Odyssey to win out over the other ones was the description. One that it uh, the review said it drives a bit more like a car than a regular minivan, and mm-hmm. the other one was that it said it has the most amount of storage space when you when you put the seats down. Uh, when you when you remove two seats and put the seats down, the thing is essentially a giant cube. Uh, which right. is the most space you're going to get on wheels. Um, and that actually is quite practical. At that time in our lives, we were having to do still moving from one house to another. Um, and yeah, that, that vehicle has helped me for several moves and helping other people move <laughs> since then. So it really just came down to what had the best reviews. Not, I didn't really think twice about trying to necessarily support the American car manufacturing. <laughs> My problem was by the time I was buying a minivan, was that Chrysler was the only American one left, right? If I had bought it, you know, five years earlier, you know, you know, Pontiac was still around. My wife had driven that for a few years, the Montana. There were some other options, but by the time they had phased out all this stuff, the only one was Chrysler. I even test drove a Dodge Caravan at that point. And a part of me was like, my mom and my mother-in-law have this rule, never buy Chrysler like that's just a rule it's just a rule because most Chinese immigrant families at some point owned a Chrysler way back in like 1978 like my dad had this the it was called the Plymouth Duster it used to be called Chrysler Dodge Plymouth Plymouth was the third member of this axis right and it was it was you know in their minds a terrible car like you look at it that thing was actually kind of close to what a dukes of hazard car looked like right <laughs> with none of the fun and this gashly like yellow and brown banana color scheme <laughs> right and we had so many problems with this vehicle that at some point all these immigrant families are like do not buy chrysler right they there is an argument to be made for buying american cars usually american cars are a little bit cheaper than their japanese counterparts okay. right so the maintenance costs and the initial upfront costs, everything's a little bit cheaper, but the cars do have a little bit more problems electrically, right? There is this tendency that they, you know, have you, and and we've seen this bear out in our house, you know, with our American car, like, you know, a little bit more trips to the, to the auto shop to fix little things. Right. So it kind of evens out. You pay a little bit more on the Japanese end for a little bit more reliability in general, right? These are all oversimplifications, but you know, in general, that seems to be the case. Interesting. You know, although I've had now two Mazda vehicles, because I had the Mazda 3 was my first car. Mm-hmm. And then when we needed a second car, uh, and when my wife went back to work, we needed a second car that could hold all the kids. We ended up getting the, the Mazda 5. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't have a good basis of comparison, but the car has had it, both cars have had their fair share of little issues here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mazda 3, the brakes on that car wear out fast. You're constantly having to go and get the brakes redone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when I took it to the mechanic, they're telling me like, yeah, that's a bit of an issue with this car. 
Uh, also had a problem with the uh, sensor in that Mazda 3 car, mm -hmm. uh, where that check engine light would go on often because there was a sensor that was not detecting when the gears were changing. Uh, and then the Mazda 5, I talked previously on this podcast about how the battery, you know, within a year of having the car, right. the battery was failing. And when I looked online, they were saying, oh, yeah, that's one of the things of this car is that the battery is a defect where it drains really unexpectedly. Right. So I don't know. I don't know if there's if that's more or less reliable than an American car would have been. But it's hard to say, right, in this day and age. I do feel like, you know, in 2021, most of the cars you buy are pretty much the same, right? You you pick right. the size and the style. You're going to be driving it, you know, five kilometers above the speed limit or 10 kilometers above the speed limit anyway. So yeah. what difference does it really make if it can get you from point A to B, right? My, my big thing is if it breaks down a lot, that's a huge problem, yeah. right? But generally, most manufacturers are pretty reliable in this day and age, right? So we're really splitting hairs to try to determine, you know, this one's got a little more pep than another car, right? Or this car yeah. looks a little bit more styling than another car. Nowadays, whether it's a car or anything else, every single thing produced on the planet for sale is not designed to last a long time. Everything is designed, <laughs> except for maybe Nintendo products. <laughs> uh, but everything else in this world is really designed with this idea that, yeah, yeah, you're going to own it and, and have it. And then in five years, you're going to have to replace it. So it is almost like nowadays, that's not a selling feature anymore. It's like, how long will this thing last? The Absolutely. selling feature is just how much are you going to enjoy it when it's brand new? <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the maintenance of a car. So in yes. your household, you know, you're the dad. What's the role of the dad with maintenance? Do you manage the maintenance of all the cars? Does your wife ever take the car to the auto shop? Or like, how does that play out? Uh, it's anything that's a, that can be done on the car at home. Uh, usually the expectation is that I'm going to be the one taking the first crack at that. So certainly if a car had a flat tire, then it's expect, it's generally it's going to be me doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if the, you know, if the battery dies, uh, you know, I don't make, my wife's not even really that comfortable at uh, charging the battery on the car. Uh, you know, sort of worried. Well, what if I put the wrong? Like, <laughs> I don't the even know how to charge a battery on the car. <laughs> yeah, what if it explodes? Um, so yeah, all that type of stuff uh, usually falls to me. Mm. But for the most part, uh, there isn't a lot of stuff that I am doing on the car at home. Mm -hmm. uh, for the really big issues, we usually bring it to the garage or uh, calling CAA. And when mm -hmm. I, if the question is, do, am I always the person to drop it off at the garage? Not necessarily. It just depends on who sort mm -hmm. of is free that day. But, but do you ever get that feeling that if you're not the person, that if, if you are female and you go into the garage, that they really try to push it hard, you know, like to, to rip you off, you know, speak over your head, you know, once again, sell you stuff that you don't need. You know, does that happen? Like, is there a gender thing when you go to a car garage? Uh from the point of view, I haven't experienced it as a woman. I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> it's not something that my wife has specifically complained about. Uh, I feel that most of the garages, uh, like if you have a good mechanic, uh, then you have a good mechanic. But if you're talking about going to the dealer's garage, I think they're pretty equal opportunity in trying to rip everybody off, whether you're male <laughs> or female. Uh, but we always make the, like if there's a big decision, my wife will always uh, consult me on it. And so I think most probably moms are in the similar situation that if you go to the garage and they're telling you you need this or that, you're usually going to consult with your partner before right. agreeing to do anything. <laughs> 
Yes. My wife one time took the car to Mr. Lube, right? Which is not like on my list of approved places to take the car, right? Like we, we, we actually have this thing where like for car maintenance, once the car comes off the lot, my new thing is we just never bring it back to the dealer again, right? Oh, yes. Of course not. <laughs> never. Like I had learned my lesson. Like my first car, I went back to the dealer. Like I was going to that Midtown dealership and they were doing maintenance. And then suddenly, you know, at the one and a half or the two year mark, the maintenance suddenly, they, I, I dropped the car off for an oil change. And then they called me a few hours later saying, not only were they going to do the oil change, but I needed these other items done. Like, I wish I had written it down. Like if I knew yeah. I was going to do a podcast on it someday, I would have written down. It was something to do with the air filter and blah, 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 like a bunch of these things. And I, and later I asked my car friends, they're like, yeah, you don't really need that. Like it's not even in the manual. So yeah. what most people don't realize is your car comes with an actual instruction manual. It says on it everything that car really needs. Yeah. If the dealer or the any mechanic starts to tell you you need a lot of other like checks that yeah. aren't there, don't do those, yeah. right? Unless you're like, I don't know, you're smoking so many cigarettes and vaping <laughs> in your car endlessly that you need the air purifier checked or something. But really, you don't need much else done. But yeah. they really try to sell you all these add-ons, right? And that stuff adds up. Like that oil change became like a $500 thing, right? I don't even know what they did. They could have done nothing for all I know, <laughs> right? And at yeah. some point later, you know, one time my wife, you know, she needed an oil change. She took the car to Mr. Lube and it was the same thing. Like suddenly Mr. Lube announced that not only do you need the oil change, but she's, I'm going to ch change something in your car. And my wife's like, no, no, we don't need that change. The guy had already taken it out. Right. Then he like haphazardly put it back in. Oh We're God. like, what did he even do? We don't even know. Right. <laughs> so, so my whole strategy is you find a good mechanic. So we found like a Chinese mechanic. Like there's this row of like car repair shops, not too far from us. Yeah. And they're in that plaza. Right. Yeah. You get all the parts of Asia represented. There's like the Hong Kong car mechanic and next to him, there's the Taiwan car mechanic. And then there's the mainland China mechanic, depending on which version of Chinese you want to speak that day. You pick the one you want. Right. Does the mainland and, China place actually believe that they own the other places? <laughs> I don't know about their politics. We're just there to get the car fixed at a good <laughs> price, which they all can offer. Right. I'll leave the audience to decide which car dealer that I frequent out of those three. But <laughs> But that's that's the thing. Never bring it back to dealer. Find a trusted mechanic and then take them with you to the grave because that is a very important thing in life. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing in my head that if there's one piece of solid advice you're going to give people about car maintenance, it's that mm. one, get find yourself a mechanic who is reliable, who you trust. Mm -hmm. uh, everything else takes care of itself a lot easier if you do that. And then there's that second piece of advice is, yeah, never go back to the dealer. When I, when I got my first car, I fell into that trap of, Somebody had said, or the, I think the dealer had said at the time, you know, you've got this warranty that covers you for all these things, but only if you come here <laughs> for all your maintenance. And so I was getting the call, I think every eight months or something that, oh yeah, it's time to come for your maintenance. And I never left the lot without having something that cost me at least $500. <laughs> and it was not uncommon for me to go in with saying like, oh yeah, the brakes are starting to be squeaky and being told, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, like legally... I'm not allowed to let you drive this car off the lot without <laughs> fixing the brakes. Right? And then uh, that, this is when I was living in uh, London, Ontario. Uh, and then when I came to, to Ottawa uh, and had a mechanic here that I met who you know, my wife had already knew. Yeah, the first time we had a big issue with the car, I took it to, the, to a local dealer. And, and this was like a check engine light thing. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, maybe it's this. And then they say, okay, yeah, we fixed your handbrake. Uh, but the check engine light still comes on. Uh, it's like, well, but I thought that we 
fix the handbrake to stop that from happening. Uh, so after that rig roll, I went to the, the trusted mechanic. Uh, within the, by the end of the day, he phoned me to say, yeah, okay, this is what the problem is. This is the part that we need to fix it. So we're going to order this part. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, do all that kind of stuff. And when I went to pick it up, the whole thing, including labor, came to less than $230. And my mind was blown. I was saying, I, I don't understand. I've never spent less than $500. Like, even when I took it to the dealer and they just washed the windows, it still ended up costing me $500. And they couldn't legally let me drive off the lot with dirty windows. And you're telling me this is $230? I was ecstatic. It is crazy. I mean, you know when you go to the dealer... They get your, you get your Wi-Fi, you get your nice coffee. There's like a leather couch for you to sit on. All that stuff is figured into that $500 yes. that you're paying for. <laughs> Absolutely. I was at the, uh, at the Honda Odyssey dealer, uh, sitting, waiting for, to, to, waiting for something. And I heard another guy having this uh, sort of heated discussion with one of the representatives at the dealer. Is this? She's not the mechanic. She's more, I guess, just like the floor representative or something. Because she's a, a young lady wearing like a nice outfit, and she's saying to him, "Yes, no, I could understand. I could understand from your point of view. It would seem strange that you brought your car in for for one problem, and then just coincidentally, within 24 hours, <laughs> a new issue developed in your car, mm. and you had to bring it back." Like, I could see why you might think that they, someone did something to your car. But honestly, it's just coincidence. And I'm thinking like, oh, this is not good. I mean, there is this analogy to be made between taking your car for maintenance and for a patient going to a doctor for a checkup, right? Like, there's this concept yes. that people have in their mind that a checkup will make them healthier, right? We're always getting this in the doctor's office. Like, I just, I, I'm in for a checkup. I haven't had one in years, right? And as family doctors, we're always trying to tell people, yeah. like, you know what? Your body is not like a car, right? These checkups don't necessarily do that much. There's a few tests that you might need once in a while. But for the most part, this idea that we're going to run a set of diagnostics, right? And that'll tell you what's wrong and then yeah. you'll be healthier tomorrow than before you came in is a, is a myth, right? And we're always telling people, you know, your your health is not like a vehicle. But now as we talk about it more, I'm thinking a vehicle really should not undergo these checkups either, right? Most of the time, they're just an excuse for you to get like hosed by the dealer, right? When we, bought our, when we bought our Mazda, the guy, the salesman was telling us at the end, we asked something about like, so do we have to bring it back for a maintenance at a certain time? He said, no, 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 this is a modern car. Uh, like mm. a, a light will come on on your dashboard if there's something right. that needs to be done. Uh, you don't need to routinely like mm. come back for checks. I was like, wow, nobody's <laughs> ever said that before. So, so the other thing that I think that people could benefit from is having a really good mechanic, and that goes hand in hand with having a really good car bodywork guy. Because I don't know about you, but you know, you're driving your car, you know, things just start happening. Like the curb will stick out at you, right? You're trying to park your car, and suddenly those like yeah. those, those stone columns in the underground parking lot just start moving, right? And bang, you know, you've nicked your car again. Like <laughs> these things happen. I understand. You know, I'm an Asian driver. You know, yeah. the stereotype exists for a reason, right? <laughs> I found that over time having a really reliable, you know, body part, like repair guy, key, you know, like takes a lot of the hassle out of that. Like when you're starting off with your car, first time you nick your car, you start calling around. You're like asking quotes, right? You know, how much is it to fix the body work on this, yeah. right? You, you end up picking the cheapest one inevitably, right? They do a terrible job. The paint starts yeah. flecking off after like a few weeks, right? When it's out in the sun. When it comes to these things like cars, yeah, like there. even the maintenance and the body work, don't necessarily just worry about the price 
because yeah, people can do things for cheap, right? And especially when we get so hung up on how much we're getting ripped off, right? We go the other way and say, we want the cheapest possible. There is a happy medium where, you know, you do end up paying for what you get at some level. And so try to find a good body work guy, but you may not want to be on a first name basis with them the way I am. <laughs> you know, it's, but so that Mazda, um, the first sort of scratch I had on my first car was one of these days coming out of the parking garage after I'd been doing, uh, this is when I was a resident, so you did like the overnight call. And in those days, it wasn't like now where they do it for 24 hours. Then it was like, you do it, you, you come in at seven in the morning, you're finished at noon the next day, uh, but only if you've actually wrapped up your patients. So, you know, it's kind of coming on more like, like 30, 40 hours in the hospital. So anyway, um, yeah, tired driving and going around the corner, uh, just scraped it along some sort of cement structure mm. they had in the parking garage that to this day, I have no idea what it was for other than to scratch cars. Uh, and yeah, I, like you said, looked up the cost of, of getting it done at an actual auto body repair shop. And they're pretty much talking about taking the panel off the car and replacing it. Uh, and then uh, while visiting home for the holidays, my mom's saying, oh, you know, I have this friend whose son is uh, just starting out in auto body repair. And, you know, he could do it for $300. It'll be great. And I'm like, oh, $300, that's, that's like a third of what mm. it was going to cost at the other place. Uh, and then, yeah, when I came back, it looks like he had just spray painted <laughs> the car with some kind of silver paint. <laughs> and like, even they'd gotten like stuff all over the door handle. And when you, you know, when you, most cars have a kind of a metallic kind of color to the yes. paint job these days, right? Uh, not just something that looks like a, the color in a crayon <laughs> box. And so it's like, yeah, you got this color, but it doesn't really have that enamel finish that all the rest of the car has. Um, but in terms of saying, would it have saved me more money in the long term? Uh, yeah, the car eventually started to rust, but I ended up needing to get a new car anyway before that car became undrivable because right. there was holes in the door. So I'm not so sure if I buy into the idea of, you know, paying top dollar is going to truly save you money in the end. <laughs> uh, if in your mind you're imagining that, like, yeah, this car is going to be in mint condition, so when I sell it, I'm going to get more <laughs> money than I paid for it. Like, that's not going to happen. I... Yeah. If you're not leasing your car, then you're probably in the mindset of I'm going to drive it into the ground anyway. And when I go to trade it in, you know, they're going to give me a hundred dollars for that piece of metal. <laughs> you know, that's uh, what I'm going to get in the trade. Man. Like it's, it just pains me to hear you talking about cars as a physician and talk, using terms like drive it into the ground. Right. I can live with all this rust, you know, like your patients probably coming out of the hospital, see you driving home in this battered, you know, Harman mobile. And are like, that was the doctor was, are you sure that wasn't like one of the janitors of the disguise? Well, I think it's maybe, uh, better for patients to have a bit of a of appreciation of the reality of what a doctor's salary is you know at least they could look at the parking lot and be like oh oh that's one of the pediatricians okay yeah that makes oh, sense oh man i mean so we've gone about we talked a little bit about buying a car we talked about maintaining a car why don't we just give a couple other car tips you know during the life of the car you're driving the car you're toting your kids around as a dad you know any advice for parents out yeah. there don't let your kids in the car <laughs> <laughs> be practical. Yeah. I mean, I've thought of this. I'm like, you know, we could really get a nicer car. And then I'm like, S for what? So that I can dig Cheerios out of like the back seat corners. Like, 
Oh, exactly. Like, I remember my daughter used to just like put her f- boot up, and then her, you know, her, she's sitting on a in a car seat, and her foot feet are gonna, her feet were short, so they'll they'll run right against the front seats, right? So you end up with these giant boot prints, right? We're always on. Hey, stop doing that. Yes. We told you how many times did we tell you stop putting your boot prints, right? But that's the that's the reality of having cars with kids, right? They get destroyed. Right. So if there's ever a period of your life where you're thinking about getting a really nice car, it's when you're 55. <laughs> here's here's one practical tip uh, for for parents, for dads with or, or moms, I guess, with uh, with a car and kids have some kind of uh, waste basket or little small garbage can mm. in the car uh, and one for each kid so that they can uh, mm. they can each have one sort of in the cup holder or, or near where their seat is. This is brilliant. Th- this might actually solve the initial problem of the dirty car. Uh, well, in much the same way, having a waste paper basket or a garbage can in your kid's room doesn't guarantee that they're going to maintain a, a super clean room. But it does decrease the chance that the melted crayon will be in the cup holder or on the vinyl of the car wait, uh, as opposed to in that, in that garbage. Wait a minute. This point counteracts with the third point that I was about to say. My big tip for people is to not have loose things in the car. That's actually a safety hazard. Imagine you get in a car accident and suddenly your wastebasket goes flying, right? All those, all that debris gets sent flying. You get shards of crayon that could cut you. One of the things about cars is you're actually supposed to not have loose objects, right? You're supposed to have things tucked into like their, you know, the sleeve behind the seats, you know, close your glove compartment because when you are yeah. in an accident, things can start flying around in the cabin. Yeah, that's, that's how they'll find me one day. Car, van turned upside down in a ditch. Uh, impaled on Crayola products <laughs> with some kids' headphones wrapped around my neck, uh, a few marbles <laughs> stuffed up each nostril, maybe a few Pokemon cards uh, embedded in my uh, trachea. Oh, my gosh, that man, he called himself a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, uh, I think having that waste paper, having the little garbage can will reduce the number of loose objects there are to fly around the van. But things that are going to pile up in the car are going to be tissues, right? You always want a box Mm. of tissue or Kleenex in your car if you have kids. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's going to be plenty of times where they're, I I need a tissue, and you throw one back there, and then you have no idea where that tissue ends up later uh, until you're (laughs) cleaning up the car and you see like piles of tissues all over the place. So the tissues will end up in there. Um, Most people, if you're taking trips with the kids in the car need some kind of distraction thing uh, and often mm-hmm. it's things like the coloring books or that that the kids have so those will end up in there and then uh, if you can have a rule that no one ever eats in the car then hey that's fantastic uh, but for <laughs> you know if you're doing any kind of extended trip in the car you're going to find some kind of wrapper in there there's going to be some kind mm-hmm. of food that you end up passing back to the kids in there and having a little garbage can reduces the probability of one day unfolding the seats to put groceries in and finding like an orange in there that's that's actually now a green. <laughs> you know, some kind of fuzzy thing where you're like, what is this green peach doing in here? Oh, wait a minute. That used to be an apple. I have one last story to share about cars before we go. Okay. A few years ago, like our clinic was renovating and it was like a really stressful period. Like my wife and I, we had just bought the clinic. You know, we were undergoing this re- renovation where half the clinic was under reno while we worked in the other half. And then at some point we switched and they renovate the other half. And now we're working on the other side. And it was just an ordeal. Yeah. Right. And it was near completion. It was like the last week, we're almost done. And I, I must have been edgy or tired or some combination of the two. 
I'm taking the car into the underground parking lot. <laughs> I think this is a theme. Like yeah. me versus the underground parking lot is a never ending battle, right? It's like Batman against all the villains of Gotham City. There's no end to these villains, right? And I'm going around and I'm about to turn the car in and I hear this, I'm making a right turn and I hear a bang. And I and the, these bang noises, I've heard them before. Like I popped the tire a few years ago. Yeah. I've scraped the car coming out. That one was loud. That was like a gunshot, right? But I had done this before. I'm like, okay, I banged the car. We'll fix a panel, $300, $500. That'll be fine. Yeah. I parked the, park the car. I, you know, I have a good body work guy. Take it to him. He looks at it. He's like, this one's bad. I'm like, what do you mean? It's just a panel, right? It's just a panel. He's no, like, it's the well, undercarriage. There's a child mangled up underneath here. <laughs> you ran over You look someone. carefully. That thing happened right at the juncture of two panels. Oh, okay. Right? And it had banged its way through one of the panels. So the entire door needed to be replaced, <laughs> right? So he's like, I'm going to go try to look for a door. And then the way they look for a door uh-huh. is they, they, they find other cars that have been damaged, but that the right back door didn't get damaged. Okay. And you take that door from a broken car, right? So so ended up being like two grand, wow. right? And and the thing about that story, the kicker was that day, I wasn't driving my car. I was driving my wife's oh, car. Oh, no. <laughs> right and so i had to tell her like yeah i was driving your car and it was and it was bad and at the beginning i was like yeah it's only gonna be 300 bucks or whatever eventually it was like i didn't even tell her how much the whole thing cost <laughs> right and she was really mad and i was like fair enough it's your car i banged it you have a right to be mad yeah. right i think a, a year later i bought my minivan right the odyssey first day driving to work right uh-huh. going in first time taking the under the, taking the minivan into the underground lot and suddenly like i'm trying to go up the ramp and there's like a gate and i'm like i'm really close to the to the curb uh, like a wall like a cement wall and i'm like i think i can make it and i hear <laughs> right first day first day taking a car i'm like oh man right yeah and called my wife like yeah i, I scratched the car <laughs> it was day one of the new minivan she was filming i'm like wait a minute why are you mad? This is my car. This is not your car. You you have a right to be mad about your car, but it's it's my car. You have no right to be mad. Like I'm not mad. I'm I'm chilling, right? And I realize in our family, the car getting in an accident is actually only the smallest thing. Yeah. It's really how your wife is going to deal with it is the real issue for the medical dad. And to the, this day, we still have not solved that issue. I was in the passenger seat uh, in our in our Honda Odyssey when it was the when it was still new. And my wife was driving and we were in a parking garage and like backing out, uh, she just scraped against one of these like cement poles mm. and she's like, oh, oh no. And I, my first words were, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, once that happens, then it's like, all right, well now I can do whatever. I can scratch it because we're all on equal footing here. Indeed, indeed. That is the life and times of the automobile with the dads. <laughs> well, I'll leave people with one last, uh, I'll leave dads with one last tip before we sign off on cars. Uh, no, we're a little bit, we've already posted our Valentine's Day episode, so it might be late for, for people buying a Valentine's Day gift. But if you need to get out of the doghouse or you need to get your, ni- your wife a nice present, uh, pay for one of these professional interior car cleanings. Mm. Yeah. It's just, uh, that'll feel so good when she gets in that car. Uh, She'll be on cloud nine for like a day. (laughs) 
<laughs> maybe wait until COVID's over. <laughs> Should be like, who's been inside this car cleaning this thing? Were they wearing a mask? You know, did they spit on anything? Did they? <laughs> yeah, depending on the anxiety level of your wife and the availability of someone to clean the car. <laughs> this car looks really clean, but it's now inundated with virus. <laughs> we cleaned the car and actually made it dirtier. <laughs> All right. Well. Hope people enjoyed our episode on cars and uh, maybe we'll come back and do other shopping related episodes on big ticket purchase items. As you were going through like, like, you know, the travails of what it's like to buy a car. It made me think about how difficult it was to buy a mattress for a house. Like just, that's what, that's when sleep country, Canada, we're coming for you. I thought we, when you said, that, I thought we were going bigger. I thought it's like this week, cars next week, mortgages, but no, we're stuck with mattresses. We could, we could but we got to deal with sleep country, Canada first. All right. Next week, sleep country, Canada. Tune in folks. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Bye.